January 24th, 25th, 26th, that weekend, ESPN was covering some extreme sports, some winter sports in Aspen, Colorado. And I was amazed at the various things these guys do on snowmobiles and skis and various things. They, they do some pretty extreme things. And at the end of the event, just like the Olympics, they were awarding gold medals, silver and bronze, to those who were the best of the best. And I guess the reason I bring that up today, because as we look at these, th- these godly families, these characteristics, these big rocks, if you will, if you can remember things from last week, the big rocks, the important things, today I want to talk to you a little bit about technique, because I believe that godly families or gold medal families understand proper technique, and you can decide for me if these samples or if these examples are gold medal worthy or maybe not so much an older husband and wife were having lunch at a mcdonald's and a lady watched because they were a sweet couple and she watched as they sat down close to her and he pulled out a hamburger and it was probably one of those big mac things and he was like tearing it in two and he gave half to her and he kept half and he was actually counting out the french fries and they did have two drinks anyhow And as the lady watched this, you know, she was just like overcome with emotion. And she went over there and she said, honey, let me buy you another meal. And the man said, oh, oh, no, you don't understand. We've been married for 50 years, happily married 50 years. And she said, well, that was great, but let me buy you something here. He goes, no, our our marriage has always been a 50-50 proposition. And we split everything 50-50. And he began to eat a sandwich. And then she said, well... To the wife, aren't you going to eat too? And she said, no, it's his time to use the teeth first today. I'm going to let him go first. (laughs) Gold medal or not so much? Heard another story that's a little bit out there. Male, female employee from a certain company were sent out of town on a business trip and they had car trouble. Both of them were happily married, but they decided to get a motel room, spend the night, and they decided to save the company some money. They were going to get one, one room, a big room that had like a bed and a couch and a few other things in that room. So she took the bed, he took the couch, and they began to call it a night. And finally she said, you know what, it's really cold in here. Could you get me a blanket out of the closet? So he got up off the couch and he took her a blanket and uh, this happened two or three times and finally he said, tell you what, we're a long way from home, why don't we just act like an old married couple and maybe that way we'll sleep better tonight, nobody knows where we're at or what we're going to do, let's just relax and get some sleep and she said, that's the deal. And then she said, I'm still cold, could I have another blanket? And he said, get up and get it yourself, we're married now. Gold medal or maybe not so much. This morning as we contemplate these techniques that godly or gold medal families use to have a healthier, happier life and happier home, healthier scenario, there are some things that we need to keep in the back of our mind. And if you were to ask an Olympian today about the importance of technique, they would tell you that it's very, very important. Years ago, I took our kids out to Colorado on an annual basis, and 
Winter Park was one of my favorite places to ski. In fact, they had some ski jumps and things set up for those who were practicing and getting ready for Olympics and that kind of thing. And it was amazing to watch these guys and these gals get up on that thing and go blitzing down that jump and then off into the air. And I thought they were crazy. But you know their technique? I mean, we've all seen it, haven't we? They get in that starting area, and then once they go, they get down into that tuck. You've seen them. And they ride in that tuck all the way down to the jump spot. As soon as they hit that area, they lean out and they extend themselves, and they lean forward almost with their nose pressing against their skis. And if they start to go a little bit off course... They wave their arms, and sometimes they wave their arms or point their arms frantically to get as much distance as they come out of the jump. And they want to stick the jump, don't they? They kind of land. They get that kind of thing going on when they land, and everybody applauds. Technique is, is crucial. If you have bad technique in that event and many others, it might look something like this. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. Ah, those of you who remember with me, that guy did that every week for a long time, didn't he? Over and over. That's got to hurt. Got to leave a bruise. Probably not the best technique that he had ever used. Colossians chapter 3 today. Verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. Now, this is kind of a very sensitive piece of scripture. And I wanted to kind of go right out of the blocks today with good technique and let you know that I'm not trying to irritate anyone, but I am trying to educate today, okay? So if you are irritated by these words, forgive me. Hopefully, though, it will educate you. A little bit more when we come to understand this thing called technique in the family. It goes like this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, there's just four verses there, but there's a whole lot of stuff going on, and I know there's some things going on in this piece of Scripture that some will want to resist. But let me just start right out of the blocks with proper technique and break it down for you as best I can. In these four verses, we see that the wives are supporters, the husbands are leaders, children are learners, and parents are teachers. And most of the time when people study the Christian family, they will search for scripture and they will study these specific roles and that's not what we intend to do today. So some of you can relax and put whatever you're getting ready to throw, put it down because it won't be painful. The techniques to serving out these roles are very important. And the fact is you can understand the roles, but if you don't understand the techniques, the roles really don't matter. It's kind of those big rock, little rock kind of thinking in the process. 
the techniques involved in living out these roles, this is what makes godly families or gold medal families in our culture. Only a couple things to think through today, but the first is this. Those in authority in the home are warned about abuse. Again, let me remind you, my efforts today are not to irritate but to educate. Two of the four roles that are listed here are those that are in the position of authority or leadership. Husbands, evidently this piece of scripture and others that confirm this imply that the husband is to have the authority in the home. I know what you're thinking, some of you, I know what you're thinking. You've never met my husband. He is a goofball. I got it, I got it, I got it. Understand, though, the Bible indicates that the husband is to have the authority. In fact, the Bible uses the word submit, that women are to submit to their husbands. And let me just say this right out of the blocks. I really believe that I can be the king of my castle if I treat my Debbie like my queen. And if I treat her that way, chances are I am going to be able to be the leader in our home. Every decision that I make is made with her best interest in mind. When our boys were home, when they were growing, every decision that I made was made with her and their best interest in mind. And I think if we understand this leadership role in the home, things begin to look a little easier as we do life together. Husbands have the authority. That's what the Bible seems to indicate here. Fathers and parents, more literally translated as parents, have the authority over their children, verses 19 and 21. Now, if anyone tries to tell you that this was just a cultural statement, they are way, way off base. There are specific reasons why God put clear lines of authority in the home because it helps maintain peace. Many times I have done premarital and marital counseling with my friends and even strangers. And in every situation when there's been a marital problem or premarital issues, it all stems from one or both of those people taking their eyes off of Jesus. And when that happens, there's trouble at home. You can't avoid it. And when that happens, there's trouble even in the dating relationship. And God knew that the temptation for the husbands and or parents to think, hey, I'm the boss around here, so if it's not done my way, then it's the highway. Or I know what some of you are thinking, give a guy a little power or a little authority and he will, uh, it will go to his head. Two words that the writer attached to each statement. Husbands, do not be harsh with your wives. Parents, in your translation it says, fathers, do not embitter your children now the word for harsh and the word for embitter they are the same they mean the same in the original text essentially they refer to irritating someone to the point of anger so we are told by god that husbands you should not irritate your woman that way you should not push her to the place of anger 
And parents, we are told here in the scripture too that we should not embitter our children. We should not push them to the point of anger. Now, I've got to ask this question. I know it's early in, the, early in the day. Have you ever been harsh with your wife? I, I, I know not in this crowd, okay? I mean, that, that doesn't happen. You ever been to my house? Every one, once in a while, our house becomes a battlefield. And things begin to, uh, we exchange things. Ever happened to you? You ever embitter your children? Have you ever been harsh with your kids? Have they ever been harsh with you guys? I mean, I have some split opinions down front here. It happens, doesn't it? If we're going to be in a leadership role, if we're going to be in an authoritative role, we need to understand uh, not to abuse power and not to be that type of, uh, that type of individual. I read about a man who uh, decided he was going to be the head of his house. So he called a meeting with his wife, and he said, from now on, you're taking orders from me. Breakfast will be at 6 a.m., sharp it will be bacon and eggs pancakes biscuits and gravy and hash browns lunch will be at your leisure while I'm at work dinner will be at 5 o'clock sharp as soon as I get home and it will be all the things that I like the house will be cleaned every day Laundry will be done long before I get home. You will help the kids with their homework. And there's one other thing. Do you know who's going to fix my hair and set out my clothes? And she said, I sure do. It will be the undertaker in our town. (laughs) My wife's Italian. I'm going to be careful how I approach sometimes. Sometimes I will point the TV remote at her and hit the mute button. Got to tell you guys, it doesn't work. It just makes them louder. So understand, as we begin to understand a godly family or a gold medal family, there are some things that we need to keep in the back of our minds. So if you happen to be one of those authoritative husbands, I don't think you're going to be the king of your castle. In fact, you might get the boot out of your castle if you're not careful. That seems to be the way it it works. So let me give you two techniques that will help prevent the abuse of power. These are big rock kind of things. The first thing is this. Set realistic expectations. One of the signs of authority being abused is to expect others to meet expectations that really can't be met. And I'm going to admit, I, I kind of struggle with this from time to time because I set expectations for me pretty high. So that means that there are times when I have a hard time meeting my own expectations. But for those of you who know me, there are times when I set expectations for others pretty high. Hoping that they will ring the bell. Now when our boys were young and when they were home, we had expectations set pretty high for them. If we lowered the expectations, we usually got the lower expectations results if they were at school if they got in trouble at school that meant that they got in trouble where at home things don't work that way in our society now somebody gets in trouble at school and then you want to go blame the who the teacher or the principal or the 
whoever, that's the way it works. Matt was in the fifth grade, Highland Elementary. He had a teacher who was giving him zeros because he did not have his, his math workbook. So a note came home and said, Matt, where's your workbook? He said, I don't have a clue. It's gone. And then he asked me this question. He had never asked me this before. Can you come talk to my teacher? Well, sure, I'll do it. That next morning, I'm on my way to school. I get to school. I'm walking down the hallway, and all of Matt's friends begin, Hey, Matt, how you doing? Is that your dad? Is he going to talk to Mrs. Yeah? Well, I have a whole herd of kids behind me. I'm like a boxer going to the ring, you know? He's going to talk to her, and it's going to be ugly. I walk in, and I meet the teacher and tell her who I was. And she knew who I was because everybody in the hallway knew who I was. I said, hey, I'm just here to kind of clear up a little issue. I understand that Matt's getting some zeros, and I get it. And what can I do to fix that? And she said, well, he probably lost his book. I said, I get it. The boy's fifth grade. I'm lucky he finds his way home sometimes. I get that. What can I do to fix this? Have you checked the lost and found? (laughs) Didn't know you had one, so they took me to the lost and found, and I went through all kinds of stuff. I said, Matt, isn't this your coat? Yeah, that's my coat, Dad. Isn't it? Yeah, that's no math book. On my way out at the time, Dr. Gorley. Remember Dr. Gorley? Great guy. I said, Jerry, what are you doing here? I said, I'm trying to figure out math. Got a teacher here and stuff, and I thought I'd just buy another book. You know, if I couldn't make pages, I'd just buy another book. And he goes, those things cost about 30-some bucks. Why don't you just make pages? I said, can you come with me down here to talk to this lady? Because she said I couldn't. The next day, they found the book in the desk of his neighbor. It had got put in the wrong desk. But that was, that was crazy for a couple of days. I'm inclined to put pretty high expectations on myself, which means sometimes I put pretty high expectations on those around me, and it's just not fair sometimes. But the higher the bar, usually the higher the results. The lower the bar, the lower the results. Parents, what do you do when your child doesn't get straight A's? Or B's? Or God forbid, C's or something else. I like the cartoon of the little guy and his dad. His dad was scowling over his report card. And the little boy asked, Dad, what do you think? Is it hereditary or environment? And I wonder, what do you do when your little guy or little gal strikes out for the tenth time? I mean, is it a big deal? Is it a big rock thing or a little rock kind of thing? What do you do when your children have that first accident out on the road by themselves? Got a phone call one day. It was Andy. He said, Andy said, hey, Dad, I need you to come over here pretty quick. I'm at such and such place, and I've crashed your car. I said, Andy, you okay? He said, yeah, but I've crashed your car. I said, I get it, but if you're okay, I'm okay. Let me come and see. And he did a pretty good job. But he was okay, and that's all that really mattered to me. You know why I said that? Because it goes back. When I was in high school, we had a 
church in the country and it was a snowy icy day we had gathered to youth group had to do some sledding out in the country came time to go and some girls asked me to follow them home my brother was just a year older than me and we had to kind of trade out the whole driving deal and it was kind of my turn to drive so i said yeah i'll follow you home i mean chivalry's not dead halfway home i slid off the road we had a big green LeSabre. It was the Clark Mobile. I mean, you can land a helicopter on the hood of this. You know what kind I'm talking about? Big old thing. And I went off the road. It was about a 10-foot ditch, maybe 15 feet. And we landed kind of sideways. We came to a stop. So now I am leaning against my brother. He's saying, you are stupid. <laughs> and I said, I know it. And we climbed out of the car. My uncle lived about 100 yards from where we went over. So I went over there and called my dad. He said, how you doing? I said, well, I wrecked the car. You know what he said? He said, are you okay? I said, yeah, but David said I was stupid. They pulled it out with a tractor. And there was so much snow and so much of that tall grass, the car was not even damp, not even a scratch on it. And my dad threw me the keys and said, I'll see you home in a few minutes. I drove home three miles an hour. But I'll never forget. I will never forget his response over the phone. I crashed your car. Are you okay? Car doesn't bother me. Never liked that car anyhow. But you're okay, I'm okay. You see, expectations go a long way to really communicate who we are and how we feel and what we believe. There's a second technique that will help you not abuse the power of authority, and that's this lift up more than you tear down. Be an encourager, not a discourager at home. I read that it takes 10 positive comments, 10, to overcome one negative comment. You're stupid. Ten positive comments to overcome one negative comment. You know, when my boys were little, I could not expect them to talk to their mom differently if I talked to her in a pretty rude and harsh way. So I tried my best to be under control when I was talking to that woman and sometimes that's what she was the woman what we say and when we say it and how we say it goes a long way husbands and parents positions of authority verse 18 wives and children positions of compliance and I got to talk you through this one You see, some words cause us to bloom and some words cause us to wilt. And we need to be careful what we say, how we say it, and where we say it. You know, they say sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never harm you. Remember that one? That's a lie. Words can't hurt, can't they? What we say when we're mad, we can't take those things back. So I encourage my friends to fight with some rules in their mind to argue with rules in their mind never say anything when you're mad 
because those things are kind of hard to take back. Never do anything when you're angry because those things are hard to take back. If you have to count to 10, count to 10. If you have to count to 1,355,430, then do it. Because it comes back to haunt us. We need to lift up more than we tear down. And the second thing to consider from this passage, those in supportive roles are encouraged towards compliance. In other words, we need to get with the program. Husbands and wives, children, children are told to obey. Wives are told to submit, and both of these things are hard to do if there is not a God-directed authority in that home. Husbands and parents point direction. Wives and children support that direction. Now, before you start throwing things my way, understand you can be the king of your castle if you treat your wife like a queen. That seems to be God's intention. So let me conclude with two techniques that will help those in compliant roles. And the first is this, just trust God. That's where it starts. Trust Him. When you're having a bad day, trust Him. When you're having a good day, trust Him. Just trust God. After inserting the words, do not, these references are made towards God. When wives comply with their husbands, it is fitting with the Lord. When children comply with their parents or when they obey their parents, the Bible says it pleases the Lord. It's not always easy. The technique to trust God first is still always the right thing to do, and the right thing is always the best thing to do. Last week, if I could take you back to my rock station, priority determines capacity. You put the important things in first, you have room for most everything else. Most of the time, though, we leave the big rocks out until we have those things that are less important going on in our life. The second technique that will help you in these types of situations has to do with realizing your worth. And probably one of the most damaging mistakes that we make is understanding God's design for the home and equating the compliance roles with less worth. So who runs your house? Let me ask it this way. Who controls your thermostat at home? Before we moved out to this building, we had an air conditioner issue downtown. And I told the guys, I was joking. I said, hey, put the thermostat in my office, will you? Because Beverly... My secretary, she likes it way, way hot, and I like it way, way cold. Guess what they did? They put it in my office. Beverly never let me live that down. She still controlled the thermostat from a door away. She would call me up on the phone and say, hey, I'm cold. Crank it up. So I did, you know. And we maintained a pretty good relationship just understanding the techniques today we've highlighted four techniques but they all stem from one principle that the bible teaches it goes like this treat other people the same way you want to be treated we call it what the red the golden rule i'm going to be sure you had it right the golden rule that's the principle that's the takeaway today we want our kids to have such a relationship with home that they like to have home they like to 
come there. We are, want our relationship to be so good at home that our spouse likes to come there, likes to be at home. Hard question. We've heard this golden rule. We've read it a time or two. Is that something you live by? Is that one of the big rocks that you want to teach your kids before they leave home? I read a story about a minister who had a very sick little boy. And after an extensive series of tests, the doctors called him and his wife in and they told them that their, their son was probably going to die. In fact, he probably just had days left to live. And it, it knocked the wind out of their, their life. Mom and dad decided they needed to tell their son what was going on. And they were conflicted. You know, dad had done this many times with friends and strangers in the church. But not his own, his own son. So after a lot of prayer, after a lot of study, he decided to, to just do it. So he went into the hospital room and he closed the door and he read some scripture for his son and he prayed with him and then he told his boy the truth, that his days were numbered and that he didn't have much longer to live. And then he looked at his son and he asked him, because the tears began to come. And as soon as his dad saw his son, then his tears began to come. So he said, son, are you afraid to die? Are you afraid to go meet Jesus? And his boy kind of grabbed his hand and said, dad, not, not if he's anything like you. If he's anything like you, then I'm okay. And you know, when I read that story, I wondered, I wondered in my mind, if I were to tell my boys that, or if you were to tell your boys that, or your girls that, what would they say to you? Would they say those words to you because of the way you have influenced and impacted their lives with the big rocks, not the small ones? I wonder. Homes in America are not happy places, folks. One out of two marriages on the rocks. Things happen at home that should never happen anywhere. And I wonder what your home is like today. Maybe you just need to thank God because you are in a place where good things happen on a regular basis. Or maybe you need to pray for your husband or you need to pray for your wife or your kids or your parents. I have no clue where you are today, but you know exactly where you're at. Again today, some of our elders are on the sides. I will be up front if there's something that you need to pray about or rejoice over. This is your time. Maybe it's time to choose a church home. Maybe it's a time to celebrate through baptism. The choice is yours as we stand, as we sing.